This is a National Arts Center podcast. Find more great NAC podcasts on the performing arts at nacpodcast.ca or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Hello, and welcome to this special edition of the NACOcast. My name is Sean Rice, second clarinetist with the NACU Orchestra, and I'll be your host today. The Wolves are back for their second season and are ready to descend upon the Mercury Lounge on November 21st to present Wolfgang's session number four. This show promises to be an incredibly varied and exhilarating evening of music anchored by two powerhouse string quartets. One of the quartets is by Bryce Dessner, guitarist from the internationally acclaimed Grammy-nominated indie band The National. I could sit here and tell you what I think about Bryce's amazing quartet, but I think it's much more interesting if you hear about it from the composer himself. And it just so happens that we have Bryce joining us today on the NACOcast. Welcome to the NACOcast, Bryce. Um, thanks. Great to be here. Um, so in two weeks, we're going to be performing your Aheim for string quartet, um, written for Kronos, right? Yeah, that's right. It was originally written for the Kronos Quartet. So this this piece can can I can we ask what the inspiration was behind it? Yeah, the the piece was um, commissioned by Kronos Quartet for a concert they did in two thousand nine or ten at Prospect Park in Brooklyn, and um, actually, you know, at the, at the time, my grandmother, who was um, in her mid nineties, was ill, and so I I wrote the piece as a kind of tribute to her. Um, and it emerged, the idea for the piece kind of emerged out of a conversation with David Harrington, the um, well-known violinist and founder of Kronos Quartet, mm-hmm. um, about the commission and where they might play it. And he asked me to do it uh, for a specific concert in Brooklyn. But then as we were talking, he was asking me about my background in music and my family background. And turns out they were going to be playing a few months later in Ludz, Poland, which is actually the town where... You know, a town near where my grandmother was from. She was an immigrant um, who came to America in the early 20th century. And um, so Aheim means homeward in Yiddish. And so I kind of wrote this piece uh, as a kind of um, evoking her kind of journey um, from Europe to America. Wow. Uh, well, this this piece, I mean, having listened to it a few times, it's it's incredibly stunning. It's powerful. It's exhilarating. It's a rhythmic uh, roller coaster from beginning to end. And... Um, hearing the inspiration for it from you now i'm i'm curious um, can we ask what kinds of stories influence these these musical ideas for you yeah i mean you know the, the piece is not programmatic so it mm-hmm. doesn't have a, a specific narrative um but uh you know growing up in in the midwest i grew up in ohio and mm-hmm. um, really my grandmother i uh, was my dad's mother was our connection to our past uh, she was the one um, you know, immigrant, uh, in, in terms of being, you know, the rest of my grandparents were born in America mm-hmm. and, um, and she lived the longest also. So we always heard these stories of her, um, growing up in what, what is now the Ukraine actually, um, mm-hmm. and then passing through Poland, uh, on her way to America. And she had a very hard, uh, life, um, both in Europe and then in the early part of living in New York. Um, she spent her first summer actually sleeping on a fire escape 
around Astor Place. Um, wow. And um, so she would always tell these, you know, the journey of the, 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 the story of her journey, um, you know, her mother uh, died um, and she never saw her again. And um, it was this kind of harrowing, uh, essentially she was leaving um, that area during the Russian revolution. So it was, you know, witnessed a bunch of fighting and um, it's just kind of, uh, you know, like many American immigrants, a kind of a very, um, you know, kind of costly, you know, struggle to get here. Right. Um, and so that, you know, for me was this sort of um, interesting uh, way to relate to our past. And so when I was asked to write this piece, I thought, you know, I would, um, her first language was Yiddish and was a language she spoke when she moved to New York. And her father who came with her was actually a, um, uh, wrote for one of the Yiddish dailies in Brooklyn. Oh, wow. Uh, early 20th century. So a hame means homeward. It's a beautiful word, word that in a way we don't have in, in English. Um, it's closer to, I would say to the French word passage, mm -hmm. which has a kind of evokes, um, you know, it's, it means journey, but it means a bit more than that. So it, um, so my piece, uh, you know, evokes that kind of intense, um, feeling of, of travel and moving from one place to another. But also I think, you know, musically it's, um, relates a little bit to the music of Eastern Europe so that the whole piece is in five. And I, I love, you know, the music of Bartok and composers like, um, Ligeti or mm -hmm. the, the Estonian composer Arvo Pert. So it has a bit of that feeling to it, I would say. Well, great. That's, that's amazing. Um, so the, um, I'm also very curious about your, your, your musical identity, your musical voice, because you have such a diverse career. Uh, of course, you're a guitarist with the National, and you've you've had experience with your group Clogs. Uh, am I right in saying you formed that at Yale? That's correct. Yeah. Okay, and uh, and then you've also collaborated with people like Johnny Greenwood, Philip Glass, Steve Reich, the New York Phil, L.A. Phil. These are all very incredible people and organize great organizations of music, and um, all have carved out what I, you know on the surface seems like their own niches and. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts on, on, I guess my question has several aspects to it, but I'm curious about your musical identity, not only as a performer, but as a composer, and also what you think about the blending of what we, what are so-called genres in music and, um, in modern new music. Yeah. I mean, I, what I can say about my background is that, um, you know, the, the classical music came first. Um, so I've been, I was trained, um, actually my first instrument was flute, um, <laughs> up into my teenage years. And then I switched, um, to guitar and piano and started trying to, you know, get in a, a little bit of compositional background and then ended up doing my studies at Yale undergrad and graduate, uh, in music. And so, um, you know, in a way my trajectory is not that different from say someone playing in your orchestra. Um, <laughs> Uh, the difference would be that, um, and not even that different, you know, I would say a huge percentage of um, contemporary composers, living composers, especially from America, have in, have some background in, in popular music, um, whether they acknowledge it or not. <laughs> you know, someone like John Luther Adams was a drummer, Jennifer Higdon, I don't think she started composing classical music into, into, in, in, before her 20s. Um, you know, uh, there's... Steve Reich has sort of famously said about me that, you know, um, I'm kind of part of a new generation where the education has developed to such an extent um, that these, these words are no longer so separate in the kind of the hybrids that emerge from right. them. 
are more based on kind of intuition and an organic kind of development of interest than they are on, say, a crossover experiment of some you know famous pop musician trying to write a symphony, something like right. that. Me, it's it's deep in the DNA. It goes way back. It's it's closer, I would say, to the, maybe you know, like in the Renaissance, um, performer composers were performers and vice versa. Of course, and, yeah. And not only that, they were great improvisers. So there's a kind of you know, the 20th century was a real um, many things happened, and you know, among them, performance practice kind of be, became very separate, where a composer was a kind of isolated genius and a performer. You know, there's of course exceptions to the rule. You know, Leonard Bernstein would be a good example, but mm -hmm. um, this idea that we can only be one thing is a very kind of um, very European and very 20th century idea. Where I think, in fact, the 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 the, the lines between these things have always been more blurred than that. Um, now, in terms of the, the melding of styles and that, not I think I think again it's about education. There's always to me there's always the art itself, and then there's the culture and the economy around the art. So what, you know, what is the music? What is the piece? Uh, is it interesting? Does it stand on its own? And then there's of course you know you know marketing departments like to talk about um, you know somebody being in a band or somebody right. you know <laughs> that's totally separate to the conversation. So yeah, those are some some thoughts I have on it though. Oh, great. Um, yeah, I, I, I only ask because I, I, having studied your music now and knowing your, your career also with The National, I find it very interesting listening to something like Music for Wooden Strings. I, I really enjoyed listening to that album and I'm, I'm not so familiar. Uh, I have to apologize. I haven't heard too much of your work with Clogs, of course, uh, yet, but um, I'm curious because I, I was reading that that group focused a lot on improvisation. Is that correct? Yeah, Clogs is a group that um, uh, maybe an interesting point because it started um, in the um, late '90s at Yale, um, and at a time when these things that you've just asked me about, in terms of you know maybe you know the especially in terms of performance practice, like where can contemporary music be be played? At the time, it was more isolated in the concert hall. A lot of the mm -hmm. sort of new series and creative programming that have come up at various orchestras and at venues in places like New York or Los Angeles wasn't quite happening. Um, so at the time I met um, three other musicians, you know, very fine classical musicians, um, bassoon, percussion, and uh, viola, violin, viola. And we wanted to create our own group. We wanted to write our own music and we, and we wanted to explore improvisation um, sort of aleatoric forms of a language not really based in the jazz language, but mm -hmm. um, more based around what you might expect from certain kinds of aleatoric modern composition. And so we developed that. Um, it was, a, in, a, in a way, a great testing ground for me, a sort of laboratory of, of learning about mm -hmm. various kinds of music. And um, the other musicians in the group were really, really fine musicians. And so we did um, the, the group, you know, it still exists. It's where we're less active now. I think we're all sort of um, involved in other types of projects, but it was a, a really nice um, sort of uh, developmental time in my in my life. Thanks again for doing this today. Uh, so this work is the premiere in Ottawa, and people can hear it November 21st at the Mercury Lounge. And thanks, uh, Bryce Desner, for talking with us today. Thank you so much. Thanks for playing the piece.
To find out more about Bryce and his music, please check out his website, brycedesner.com. B-R-Y-C-E-D-E-S-S-N-E-R.com. If you've seen movies like The Hours or The Secret Window, then you are no doubt familiar with the music of Philip Glass. Described as a minimalist composer, Glass's music uses rhythmic, melodic, and harmonic cells to create long sections of music. This music then undergoes transformations where slight changes in the musical material render strikingly new perceptions of what one hears. At the same time, the use of rhythm is often trance-like, and one cannot help but move and groove to the rhythmic patterns that Glass creates. All of this is quite prominent in Glass's fifth string quartet, and you will get the chance to hear it performed live by members of the Wolfgang. Glass's use of rhythm, melody, and harmony creates shimmering musical waves evoking strong emotional responses with each subsequent musical climax. The rest of the program features Luz by Analia Yogdar and Black Moon for solo bass clarinet by Johannes Maria Staud. You'll probably be holding onto the edge of your seat with these two works. Both pieces sound immensely powerful and really exploit the extreme sounds of their respective instruments. Stoud's Black Moon is particularly fascinating with its use of extended techniques for the bass clarinet. This piece has everything, flutter and slap tongue, key clicks, and enough multiphonics to make a feedback loop sound tame. If you want to hear some distortion without the distortion pedal, make sure you hear this performance. Don't miss out on getting your tickets for this event, Ottawa and Gatineau. Tickets can be purchased online at themercurylounge.com, but don't delay, they often go quickly. If you miss out purchasing your tickets online, there will be a limited number available at the door. Doors open at 9 p.m. and the show starts at 10. We look forward to seeing you there. A big thank you to our co-presenter, The Mercury Lounge, and our partner, Arboretum Festival, for their continued support of the Wolfgang sessions. Keep your ears tuned for future howls. The Wolfgang will reappear on Saturday, January 16th at The Mercury Lounge in an all-Canadian music program. This has been a National Arts Centre podcast produced in Ottawa by NAC New Media. Send us your comments and questions. Email us at nacpodcasts at gmail.com. Visit the podcast section of the iTunes store where you can rate and comment on this podcast. We love to hear from you. Remember, you can find more great NAC podcasts at nacpodcast.ca. 
or search on National Arts Center on iTunes and subscribe for free. Until next time, goodbye from Canada's National Arts Center. Thank you.